This is episode 113 of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is Emily Savard, who is a digital content creator with The Parlay, production coordinator at Blue Jay Central, as well as hosts her own podcast called From My POV. Emily and I talked about her journey in the industry, the unexpected challenges and uncertainties that came with the pandemic starting in 2020, and how she was able to overcome them and be able to thrive in the roles that she's in now. So sit back, enjoy today's episode, but first, a word from our sponsor. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things, it's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important, more than ever now, and that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G Protein Bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients, they're fresh, it tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, there's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the US. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today, we have a very special guest from the world of baseball, social media. Please welcome Blue Jays, Blue Jays Central production coordinator, as well as content creator for the Parlay, and also host of, from my POV, my POV podcast, Emily Savard. Emily, it's great to have you on. Thanks you for having me. Wear so many different hats. It's yeah. kind of uh, an all over the place smorgasbord of endeavors that you are currently involved in. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a lot. <laughs> As we're told in the sports media industry, we are always supposed to be jack of all trades and know a little bit of everything. And with the parlay, you do have your hand in a little bit of everything. Yep. You just started the role full-time recently. What has your experience been like working in the world of betting now that it is legal in Ontario? It's been great. Honestly, I wasn't really familiar with sports betting so much when I started out doing freelance for them in the beginning of January. But obviously, like you mentioned, April regulated in Ontario now. So it's just much bigger. And you're seeing all these sports betting sites popping up apps, come place your bets with us. So the thing I think that's different about the parlay is we're not a sports betting site where you place your bets and your money. We basically give you analytics and um, like a little push as to who we would pick for a game Leafs versus Lightning because of this, this, and this. So what my main job is just basically portraying that through content, engagement, trying to get across everyone's screen and just promoting ourselves as an organization that will help you pick your bets for the night. So making that through educational content, humorous content, you know, TikTok's big, videos, like photos. We're really fo- like focusing more on reels and TikTok because Video content's where it's at right now. Obviously, everyone's seen that kind of just move through the world. So it's been good. I'm learning a lot. That is true because I I didn't really know a lot about sports betting going into it, but I am learning day by day, which is great. So is it something that you see yourself getting involved in outside of work in terms of actually placing bets yourself? No, because you know why? I have no money. (laughs) 
I can't place bets. You can't place bets if you have no money. So that's one of my main problems. I'm also saving for a house now, a car. So I was just like, that's not in my realm of things. But you know what? Fully support people who do that. That's what they want to do. It makes, it brings another level of an element to the game, right? Live games and just tournaments in general. So I totally understand the hype and I love being a part of it on that side, but I probably will not place any bets myself. Well, I think that that's a a very safe barrier incidentally to have up for yourself to prevent any wild ideas of wizardry that will convince you to bet all the money that is in your savings account on a three-leg parlay to strike it rich, quote unquote, and finally win that down payment or lose it all and become viral on TikTok for losing a parlay. That's true. No, it's true. I agree. Of the sports that you follow, which one would you say that you gravitate towards the most? Probably baseball. Um, I would say football, like American football in the fall is really big. It's actually football is what got me into sport media and wanting to be, you know, hosting on air, all that jazz was kind of falling in love with football. My dad was a really big fan when he was a kid um, of the Arizona Cardinals and (laughs) As soon as I share this on my Instagram, people are gonna be like, yep, she's talking about the Cardinals again. Cause it's, it's weird, right. To be a fan of the Cardinals and live in Toronto. Like it's, it's strange. So I kind of grew up like falling in love with that team, which brought me to sport media and wanting to be kind of like Lisa Matthews, the on-air reporter for the Cardinals. Um, and then from there I was introduced to baseball, just living in Toronto, right. Always been a Jays fan, but never really was into it until I'd say like 2014, 2015, 2016, I became a cheerleader for the Toronto Blue Jays on the J-Force. So that really just, just dove right in head first for that. Had to know everything about baseball, especially the Blue Jays. So that kind of just kicked me forward as well into really diving into baseball in general and now working for the like for Sportsnet in the capacity I do um, for Blue Jays Central. It's really just taken off from there. It's baseball's like consumed my life basically. You said that it's weird to find someone who cheers for Arizona from Toronto. Is it weirder or not to find someone who cheers for the Jaguars that's from Winnipeg? I want to ask you that question. Um, I don't know. I honestly, you know what? I don't find anything weird like that. It's, it's more so people's perception of like, why the Cardinals? Like that is the most common question I get when I post anything about it or tell anyone that I love the Cardinals. They're just like, I don't understand. Like, why are you not a Bills fan? Do you know what I mean? Like they're right there across the border. Classic Torontonians are all Buffalo Bills fans. Like the easiest bus trip to get drunk at the fields. Like, hello, makes sense. But for me, I'm like, nope, never been me. Never going to be me. Always going to be a Cardinals fan, even though they were terrible for so many years when I first started following them. And now they're like better, you know, sad end of the season, but it's good. We're going to have a good season this one. I've always found the Cardinals to be a bit of a strange wild card when it comes to NFL teams to follow because yes, they have the longest championship drought technically in NFL history, but they've also assumed many different franchise names in that time since the 1920s. And the other thing too, is that Arizona has also had teams that have, I mean, made the Super Bowl in 2009 and they, have been good and made the playoffs. Whereas when people look at me and say, Oh, why do you cheer for the Jaguars? It's like, well, 
probably just as much of an arbitrary explanation as you would give to people as to why I cheer for Arizona. But I don't really blame people in Toronto. Not that really the perception of others matters as to who you cheer for. And also when you're in sport media, you kind of lose a bit of fandom depending on what work, what sport you work in. Yeah. But like every team is bound to have their day. Some, it takes longer than others. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think that geographic proximity matters anymore with NFL fandoms for Canadians. You would hope not. Right. I, I think, I don't think it's like as like malicious as I just made it out to seem. It's just like, I think growing up in sport media at university, everyone had their, you know, had their thing and no one was the Cardinals fan except for me. So, <laughs> but I totally agree. Who was your favorite player in the Cardinals when you first started cheering for them or watching them? Fitzgerald, <laughs> my dog, my family dog is Fitzgerald. So it's just really carried on. You should see my basement at home. It's like all red and white, like painted, you know, like the fathead stickers you can get like of teams. We had, um, we have Fitz on there running in for the touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Steelers. We have that photo. And then we had Patrick Peterson for a while, but then my dad got really sick of his crap and was like, yeah, you're good. You're done. And pulled him off the wall. You're done. Yeah. You're done. <laughs> What year did you start cheering for the Cardinals? I'd say like 20, 2008, like right before I was only in grade eight, 2008, right? Like I was pre- still pretty young and like university wasn't really th- things I was thinking about in grade eight. I was more so like focused on high school. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say like that's when I started to watch more, really got into it in like 2012, 2013, when I was going off to university and was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Something like this. You didn't get a fat head of Carson Palmer or Kurt Warner? No, there's no way Palmer would make it on my wall. My dad would never. Um, Kurt Warner is yes. Like I always said, I don't know why we picked Peterson to go on the wall. I never got it. I was like, why wouldn't we put Warner? He's a legend, like quite literally a legend, you know? So maybe one day when my parents move, they'll redo it and they'll put Warner. I think that makes the most sense out of everything, but that's just me. So you talk about baseball being sucked in from being on the Jays force and now obviously working as a production coordinator with Blue Jays Central. Have you followed the team very closely also from the time that you were a kid or did it more so grow on you once you were thrust into the role? I feel like um, I've always liked sports. I always played sports as a kid. So I knew of teams like Toronto teams, Toronto Maple Leafs, Raptors, Jays, you know, and then I have my odd football team. So I feel like as a kid, I always kind of knew my grandma is a huge Jays fan. My dad also a Jays fan, but not as big as my grandma. So yeah, like I just feel like when I started in high school, thinking about university, started to follow the teams more just because like it was something I was like interested in being and doing with my life. Like I had to intern with a sports um, channel in my area. And that also like kind of pushed me, you know, to like actually pay attention more to all the, the teams in Toronto because I also was moving for school. Right. So I couldn't go into university at Ryerson and not know anything. Right. I'm going into sport media. That doesn't make any sense. I knew the, the jet, like the gist of that, like the rules. Right. But I'm not like a stats. I'm not a stats person. I wouldn't tell, couldn't tell you this from the other kind of thing, because that's not super what I focused on, I guess you could say. But I am interested in the game and I do understand the rules, which I think makes a huge difference when you're watching as a fan, too, when you get it right? Like it just makes sense. But now I would say, yeah, like we had to take tests and for J force, like little quizzes every week to like 
just make sure that we are kept up with the team. How brutal would it be if you were on the concourse talking to a fan and they're asking you a question about, I don't even know, Goins, Ryan Goins. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> that would be bad. Do you know what I mean? Like that would be really bad. And then it would just like, we would just fit the stereotype of a typical cheerleader who doesn't know anything about their team they're on. They're just a pretty face. And like the J-Force was so much more than that. We were so interactive with fans that we had to know these kinds of things. And we were also all baseball fans when we got hired. So it just made it easier, right? Conversational wise. And just like knowing we have to be there at the middle of the inning or the top of the inning. Like it's things you just need to know to even just do the J-Force job, which then also really helped me with my job now, because I feel like I'm like a J-Force on steroids basically, but working for Sportsnet because I get around the stadium the same way I did when I was on the J-Force. I know where things are by standing in one spot. I could tell you where this level of the 200 section is versus this one. And I could tell you what's happening in the game, 100%. You know what I mean? Maybe wouldn't be the same if I didn't have that background and like learning about the team and learning about the sport. So I'm like thankful for that. It really just helped me be prepared for where I am now. How did you land the opportunity to go into the J-Force? Honestly. Okay. So I was sitting in a class um, and I, we all got emails from radio and television. They just sent like a, like Ryerson sent a bunch of emails saying the Toronto Blue Jays are looking to hire on their J force. And I was like, what is this kind of thing? Like I grew up dancing actually very into the arts growing up theater, that kind of thing. So I knew, I know how to dance. Like I did competitive dance, but I didn't know I've never been a cheerleader, like, you know, like twirls and like, uh, you know, cartwheels and stuff. Not my thing, not flexible like that. So I was like, what is this going to entail? You know, I don't really know. But then I went with a couple of my friends to the audition and you had to get like four through four rounds and then get a call back from there. And then you were hired and they only hired, I think that year, they only hired about 15 to 17 girls. The second year I was on it, there was about 25 girls just for like extra bodies basically. But yeah, that's how I landed that. It was really, really on a whim. Like I was not confident. I remember getting home and telling my roommates, I'm like, I don't really think that went well. Like, I definitely don't think I'm going to get a call back. And then did. And I was like shocked. I actually do have a video of me like receiving that phone call. And I was like, oh my, I'm a cheerleader for the Blue Jays. Like what? It was weird too. Cause I was in university. So I'm like, I'm a third year university student. And I also cheer for the only baseball team in Canada. It's like weird, you know, kind of like mind blowing. So that's how I got that. <laughs> still don't know how, honestly, still don't know how, but yeah. I think sometimes a fan's perception is that when someone's a cheerleader, that's all they do. When in reality, I've, when I was back in Winnipeg studying at U of M, I literally met someone who's a cheerleader for the bombers and they were like a first year university student, like 18 years old. I was like, Oh, so this is just something you do on the side or you can as, invest as much time in it, in it as you want, of course, but it's not like, unless you're like a cheerleader for the Cowboys or something or in the NFL, yeah. or that is literally your full-time job. And even at that, sometimes those gigs don't pay as well as they should, which again is a very, uh, a very, I wouldn't necessarily say super controversial topic, but definitely a topic that doesn't have as much light shed on it as it should. Yeah. Like I, I think that NFL cheerleaders are super not valued, um, but based on what they get paid, I was fortunate enough, like with the blue Jays, we were paid quite well and like very fairly to what we do on a daily basis practices and everything like that. Um, you're also there at the beginning of the game, two hours before the game starts. And then probably about an hour after the game, right? The game goes to extra innings. You're there all night, right? Like I'll never forget Canada today, 2016, I think it was. And we had Goins pitching in like the 17th inning. Like it was the most wild 
And I was like, it's never going to (laughs) end. You know what I mean? Like we're going to be here till 10 o'clock at night and the game started at one. So, you know, like we were paid really well for what we were doing and really fortunate for that. But I do feel bad for NFL cheerleaders. I've heard some pretty sad things about how much they get paid and what they do too. And it's not, it doesn't equal out, you know, for an opportunity like that, it, like you said, translated to help very well now with what you do as a production coordinator, how did you land that role? And what have been some of the things you've learned about yourself during the initial uh, phases? Yeah. So I always say this, like connections are so important, especially in sports and media in general, like the most important thing, networking. So when I was working for the J-Force, um, I don't, don't know if you're familiar, but what, there's Junior J Saturdays. That's what it used to be, where we would feature kids. Basically, it was all about the kids, games, all that. And now it's Junior J Sundays. But basically, all of these promotions in the game would feature children. So we would pick kids. The J-Force, not a lot of people know this, but the J-Force was responsible for finding kids to go with their promotion. So you get assigned a promotion. And then my promotion would be starting nine. And I'm have to pick kids to basically go on the field with the players. So you have to be really conscious about like, are these kids, are these kids acting wild right now? Like they have no idea what's going on. Right. We want little kids to like to 13, I think is the age range. Um, and make sure they're going to be good on the field with the players during the anthem. Like there's a lot more thinking that goes with the J force than people realize that like, in terms of what we do day to day. Right. So with that, one of the promotions was junior Jamie. So obviously Jamie Campbell, who's one of the hosts of Blue Jays Central, he had a promotion where a little kid would come onto the set where I work now. So it's really come full circle and he would put on a little blazer and he would stand with Jamie and they would do the mid three hit on the video board where Jamie goes, Hey everyone, welcome to the Rogers center. I'm here alongside so-and-so. And the little kid would basically do play-by-play of what's happening for three, three minutes on the, on the video board. Right. But it's like a once in a lifetime moment for that kid. So it's super amazing, but I was always put on that because I was in sport media. So it made sense broadcast. Right. So I made a good relationship with Jamie Campbell doing it every single Saturday. You know, that was like a routine for me. And then weirdly enough, like fast forward, like about a year and a half later, I was working for Red Bull at the time um, as a wings team girl, not sure if you're familiar with that looks like, Mm -hmm. but we drive those cars. Yeah. Yeah. And I was at an event and I saw him there with his kid, one of his, one of his sons. And I was like, oh, hey, Jamie, I don't know if you remember me like super random, but like I used to be on the J force, you know, like this is a year, year two, maybe later. And he was like, oh yeah, totally remember you. Like, you know, red lipstick, pink, you guys dance around the field. I'm like, oh yeah, that's us. And he's like, so what are you doing now? And I was like, well, I work in marketing now, event marketing, obviously for Red Bull. And he was like, do you want to work in TV? And I was like, well, yeah, I still do. Cause I explained, I was still, I was at sport media or whatever. He knew that. And I'm like, he's like, what's your end goal? Like working in TV? Like, is that something you're interested in? And I was like, yeah, like it, it totally is. Like, what do you mean? Kind of thing. And he was like, well, we're looking for a production coordinator for our set at Blue Jays Central. And this is in 2019, right? So right before the pandemic. So then he connected me with um, David Trudget, who is the boss of Blue Jays Central, mm-hmm. one of the producers. And I had an interview with him in January, 2020, and then the world shut down in March. So I got my first real sports job in 2020, never got to work it because the world was ending basically. So that was pretty sad for me. Like I was pretty upset about that, but then 
a year later, obviously I still kept in touch with Sportsnet and just said, Hey, like, what's the plan for this season? Are we going to go back for a little bit? And they ended up having a short season last year, right. With August and September. So that was really great because I actually got to have a taste of what my job would be. And now this season, I'm so much more comfortable and so much more just like aware of everything going on. Right. Like it's, it feels so easy breezy because like I said, J force really trained me for two years of how to get around the stadium. I've made all these connections. I'm like really good friends with Jamie and Joe on the set. So it's really like, it's been great. Like I've learned a lot of things I would say just about, you know, like time management, like a lot of my job happens pregame. So can't be like screwing around. I have to like get things going, get everyone their game sheets, get everything fed to the sports net trucks, like footage wise, or there's like, I, I realize my importance, my role is getting that footage from the field to the truck. If I'm not there or someone's not doing that, what are you seeing on TV? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is a pretty, in, in a way it is important. My, my role, at least like being that middleman, like, of course the camera guys can do it 100%, but just being the middleman to make sure it gets there and say, Hey, I'm feeding this footage of Montoyo. He's his interview with Hazel, whatever it's coming through, like just that middle, just to secure and make sure it's there. Like it's a huge part of what you, what fans see on the TV. Right. So learned a lot, learned a lot. I feel for what you went through when you got the job offer and then it got the rug got pulled from underneath you because that's just, and I'm there. I mean, you're not alone in that. There's a lot of people I'm sure who went through similar experiences and it must've been really difficult. What was that time like? And how did you handle what you were going through? Yeah. So it's at the time I was fortunate to have a job in PR. So I was still working um, from an office, but I, I really distinctly remember the, so you're going to, okay, this is going to sound dumb, but my family goes to Florida every single March break, um, just a traditional thing. And we were going back and forth on if we should pull the plug on that and not go because of COVID, right. And everything we've been hearing. And I remember calling my dad um, on my lunch break at the PR company and being like, you don't think they're going to like stop the season, right? Like that's not that they can't do that. Like that's not possible. I mean, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. And like, we ended up going on our trip and like, it was like, whatever we came back early, like things were getting real testy, obviously. So it going back, I remember just being like really disappointed, um, in how hard I'd worked to get to where I was with all of the jobs I've done over the years and just really, like, really grinding it out post-school. Like I've, I've done a lot of things as you mentioned earlier. So it was more the disappointment factor of like actually working in a sports job. Not that the J force wasn't, but it's different, right? Like that's not what I went to school for to be a cheerleader. That's mm-hmm. not my end goal. It's really not a career. It was never for me. It's a short-term thing that I really enjoyed doing during university, but it was never something I'm like, I'm going to be a J force for the rest of my life. So landing a job at Sportsnet, that was a dream, you know, like that was a goal for me coming out of sport media at Ryerson. So when I didn't get to work it, it felt very like, is this karma? Like, is this the universe telling me something that I, I, I never, never will get to work a sports media job. Right. Cause it, at the moment it felt very like impossible and very, like it was never going to end right. COVID. So luckily like staying in touch with people. And I, you know, I saw some people over the course of the time when things got better in the summer and was able to like talk to people and be like, what do you think? Like, do you think I sh- will be able to work it next year? Like what's the situation? Right. So it kind of kept me hopeful, but it was still disappointing in the beginning. 100%. I just, I like literally couldn't believe it. A and and like, not to sound like, woe is me, pity me, but it's like, I, like, I worked so hard to get there and I'm like, I'm not going to get to do it. So. 
you didn't listen to In the End by Linkin Park at the same time to accentuate the feeling of disappointment, did you? No, I, I listened to Wake Me Up When September Ends. Isn't that simple plan? <laughs> yeah. That feeling is just so difficult to deal with when you feel like you've grinded and you've done every single thing possible. And I actually, the reason why I bring that song up is because I remember the first time I heard it was when I was playing university for in university football. And I was like, man, it, is someone trying to describe my life right now? Yeah. Because when you get to that moment where you feel like you've tried so hard, you got so far, and in the end, it didn't really matter. It just is so deflating. And people talk about mental health continuously and and exponentially more over the years. And But what does it really mean? Like, what does it mean to be in that moment where you don't know what's going to happen with the world and you're trying to chase a dream that may not exist right now? Like, yeah, having support so- in place is important, but like, that's just that's not a a good place to be if there's too much unknown. Yeah. And I think too, like I was really fortunate um, to have like friends around me and family that really, you know, picked me up um, as a lot of people I'm sure did have. And I also would that use that time to start a podcast with one of my, with one of my best friends. Right. So I use that time to learn and grow. And I really look back on it actually now and be like, if I hadn't done that podcast with that friend at that time, I might not be as confident as I am now to host my own podcast on my own, do hosting videos for the parlay. Like I might not have grown that confidence because even though I said I went into school wanting to be on air, I actually kind of like shifted mindset and realized maybe I wanted to work in marketing or social media more. And that was like a variety of factors, just like in terms of like the way the world's going, social media wasn't super big at that point. And now it is. I also just wasn't feeling confident with some of my professors about me being on air. Like you're in competition with everyone else. And it's wasn't really getting that establishing factor. Like this is what your career is going to be. Right. So as a kid, you're in university, you're like, I'm not feeling super supported in this role. Maybe I should listen. They are, they are way, they know way more than me. They're older, they're in the industry and they say I should go the marketing direction or the writing direction. So maybe I should go that way. So I like really deteriorated from being on air and being a host. I was really kind of over it at that point. And I was fine being a production coordinator for Sportsnet. That was super great. Um, But I really wasn't thinking about being on air and then starting that podcast with the friend and then doing that for a year and a half because we had time really gave me the confidence to where I am now. And I don't know that I would be in this position that I'm in now confidence wise, like speaking and just like hosting and doing my own thing, like hosting a podcast every week, you know, right? It's a lot. You have to have a confidence. You have to have like the social skill set to ask people questions, especially people you don't know, right? Like it's, it's a lot more than people think it is. Right. So I think I look back and I'm like, maybe I wouldn't have done that. Maybe I, or I, maybe I, I wouldn't be where I am now without that. And so I have to look at it and just be grateful for how far I've come and what I learned over the pandemic about myself as a person in sport media and as a host, and just like getting my own confidence to be who I am. When you're in a situation like that with people, you feel like that they aren't supporting you. What were the thoughts you had in that moment? And how do you reflect back on the growth you went through in terms of building confidence or now, as you look forward to the future, because you talk about how doing the podcast gave you strength, but now as you look forward to the future, when you experience similar potential, you know, road barriers, what would you do based on what you learned from that initial situation during university? Yeah. You know what? I just don't, I don't care what people think. 
I think my, you know, I just realized that life is so short and it's not worth it to take someone's opinion and you don't know exactly where it's coming from, right? Like sometimes people don't back up their opinions with any kind of fact. They just say, you're not going to be on air one day. Sorry. You know what I mean? Like, where was that coming from? I have no idea. Do I really care now? No, because I look back and I'm like, I didn't know I was gonna get here, but now I'm thriving. And like, I love where I'm at now. So I don't, I just moving forward. I'm like, you can like me. You can not like me. You can think I'm great at hosting. You can think I'm terrible. You can hate my podcast. You can love it. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things to me now, because if it's making me happy and I'm getting reps and I'm learning about how to host and how to be a speaker and how to do this and that, like, yeah, I'm a little bit later to the game, but does it really matter in the end? Do you know what I mean? So that's the way I kind of look at things now. And like, I'm actually fortunate to have absolutely no one in my life who says you should not be a host. You should not be doing what you're doing. You shouldn't work for the parlay, whatever. No one, no one. Instead, they're all like, this is great. Keep doing you. Right. So I think it's about just finding people that support you. And those people supporting you are people who actually care about you. And they're the opinions that you can listen to and really lean on and matter in the end. When you tell this story, it makes me think of a famous one that is told by Steve Harvey, who, as many people would know, is a, is a, is a host on television with Family Feud and has become a beloved household name amongst people that like watching game shows. And, I, and I've seen a lot of clips of his on TikTok. I'm not sure if you have, but one of the ones that he talks about is when he was a little kid and people's, and one of, the, one of his teachers said that he had a stutter and like, Steve, like, you'll never be on television. Mm. never be on television and he says you know what well when that little stevie went and became a star and went on television every year for christmas i buy that teacher a television so that she can watch little stevie on tv and every time that that i i see that video or that clip it, it reminds me of your what the story you're telling where someone says to you arbitrarily or again you're right you don't know where it's coming from you can't do x or y and it's like what yeah like what you're doing right now you're, you're doing something that allows you to build and continue to build on the confidence that you have to work in a diverse set of roles, to learn different things about being in production, being a host, using social media. And it's not just a one size fits all. And also there's the, like people can change and evolve. It's not just, Oh, because you did one thing, that's what you're going to do for the rest of time. Because this industry does not act stagnant at all like that. No, that's so true. That's so true even when I think about what we've been told mentioning having to be a jack of all trades, when you're creating content for social media, again, it's just, you hear these cliches from people who are influencers and whatever, and it sounds annoying when it comes from their mouth, but the exact thing you're describing where you're saying, if someone loves my podcast, someone hates it. If I get no listens, if I get a million listens, I don't care. And I've, I always just think of Gary Vee when I hear people say that. And and it sounds flanderized and exaggerated, but it's true. No, it is. I think that's the thing though, right? Like, I think that people say it a lot, but I truly don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not worth it. It's really not. And like, in the world of social media, like, if you don't like my content, unfollow me. Like, it's just as simple as that. Don't follow me at all. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that like, it just needs to get to the point for some people to stop caring so much what people think of what you do, especially if it's something that like you really enjoy and drives you, right? Like having a podcast, like 
that's like something that's a part of me, but I'll never let one job be my identity. That's just never going to be me because I love doing so many different things. And I love expanding my skill set at every single job I do, which is something that not everyone can do or wants to do, right? Like they are content being a computer software engineer. Yeah, I'm just making a general one, but you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's just what they do. And I think in media, the more skills you have, the more jobs you're going to get offered because you can do social media, you can host, you can do partnerships. Like that's the prime of the parlay. Like when I said to you before we started doing the podcast, like it fell in my lap in the best way possible because I worked in all of these jobs prior to now. And I finally feel like I'm at a place. And I said this to all my friends in the last couple of weeks, I finally feel at a place that I'm like, I grinded so hard to get to where I am. And now I'm doing everything I love in two jobs. And I have a podcast on the side, but wouldn't be here for the hosting at the parlay without the podcast. So I can't like, I can't do one without the other. And I love that because I feel like that brings value to me. And it also just makes me see like, nothing is the end of the world. You can do so many things in life and you're not limited to one thing and you shouldn't ever have to be. A hundred percent. I really couldn't have said it better. The way that you learn from each individual experience and how it all ties into what you end up doing is just absolutely wild to think about when you step back and look at the progress and people talk about success isn't linear. Again, another cliche, but it's true. When you're looking at a downtime, January, 2020 was seemed great. And then two months later seemed awful. But when you zoom out to two years on a map of your whole life, 80, 90 years, it just looks like a little squibble. Like it doesn't look like anything, but yet it taught you so much. Just a stepping stone of time, really. Right. Like, and obviously in the moment, I'm sure no one was thinking that, oh, it's a stepping stone of time. But when you look back, if you utilize the time that we were actually given off, instead of just looking at it, like I lost my job, I don't have a job, which fair. And 100%, I felt that way too. I'm not saying I didn't, but I had to step back and look at myself and go, I can't do nothing for the next year. There's no way. I'm also, that's not my personality. So I'm going to teach myself something. And that is how my, my friend and I started the podcast, right? Like it was, let's learn how to do this. We both had no idea. And now here I am buying my own equipment for my own podcast and teaching myself how to edit audio. Could not say I would ever be doing that when I was in school. I I literally hated doing audio, but here I am. And I self-taught it to myself. It's like, how, like, how could I look back at that and be, oh, that was such a sad, shitty time when I really learned a lot. So I should be grateful for that, you know? Yeah. And again, I, I, I think I share a similar sentiment to you with regards to when there's a break like that in the, seems like a break in time as if life paused, but in reality, life keeps going. So if you just sit there and do nothing, it's not like you're sitting in a lobby waiting for something to happen. You're still going. Yeah. The, the camera is still rolling. It didn't stop just because of whatever happened. Was it unpredictable? Sure. Is yeah. it okay to seek help in the best way you see fit based on what is going on in your life? 100%. But mm-hmm. I think that, and, and this may seem like something that is totally whack or some people may not agree with, but for a lot of people, COVID was the best thing to happen to them. Oh, my 100, me looking back hundred percent in like every way and aspect of my life though. Like I, 
I, at the beginning of the pandemic was single, you know, like not trying to find my job in sport media. And now I literally let met the love of my life in the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Like that wouldn't have happened if I, the pandemic hadn't happened. I wouldn't, like I said, wouldn't have done the podcast without the pandemic. There's no way I wouldn't have had time to do it with all the other things I was doing. And now I make it work because I love it so much. Right. So I look back and I'm like, yeah, the COVID pandemic was pretty brutal. And the fact that you didn't want to go outside because you were scared of catching COVID. Right. And more so in that retrospect, and you couldn't see your friends, but then I ended up meeting someone that literally is the best person I've ever met, brings out the best in me, just everything I really wanted in a person. I found that too, along with getting to finally work my sport media job that I've always wanted to work and moving on through life, right? Like different perspective, much happier person. I'll tell you that than I was in even 2019, what not, not a happy person, honestly, mentally really struggling also because I was not, I didn't know my place right in the world. I wasn't really sure where I was going to end up. Wasn't sure job wise, like very in between. I feel so stable mentally, um, in my relationship, in my career now that I'm like, this is where I've always wanted to get to. And I actually never thought that I would get here. Right. So looking at it now, I'm like, wow, thank God for that pandemic in a weird way. Right. Or else I wouldn't have found all these great things I have in my life now. Like being on a treadmill, you feel like everyone keeps telling you about this distant future and, oh, it's going to happen. And don't you worry. Don't you worry. And especially when you're not even there yet, like there's people who always try to give you perspective saying, well, if you're going to be working for 40 years, what's one or two or three years at some place and people, or you'll eventually get there or you'll eventually make the money. And I think that it's difficult and rightfully so for people who are in our position or was in the position you were in before the one you're in now, when you're sitting on the outside looking in, you're like, well, I'm not inside. So you can tell me everything that you want about what it's like being on the inside. I'm still not there yet. So how am I going to resonate with what you're talking about? But then when you do get there some way, somehow that you can't really predict, then it'll all make sense. And I think that's the most difficult thing is taking a step or the leap of faith, I should say, without knowing that there's even a step there. You're leaping towards something that you don't even know exists. And I think too, like also to say like, I'm not, this isn't the end. Do you know what I mean? Like where Mm. I'm at now is not the end for me, even though I'm so happy with where I'm at. Like it never will mean I'll stop learning and stop growing as a professional in sport media, as a person. It's just, I finally reached a spot where I'm content with where I'm at and it's only up from here. It's not going down. Right. So totally with you. Once you get that stability, I think it's a lot easier to be able to take a step back and look at things and analyze without having to worry about the floor falling from underneath you. Because like we were talking about just a bit before we started recording, when people look at generations in terms of our parents, the one before, et cetera, that's when people would usually find a job, try to get the experience they could to land at one final destination. Success was a destination before, literally, when it comes to a career. But now, because there's so many different things you can do, and people say, oh, the industry is shrinking and there's no jobs and the world's, the sky is falling and and you should just be cynical and be like Squidward. No. When you think about how many things didn't exist 10 years ago or five years ago that exist now, sports betting literally became legal like a month and a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Social media has only existed for a decade and a half, maybe. Like, who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 years or five years That's or true. 20 years? 
It's true. And everything has their downside. Obviously there's negatives to everything, but I think in terms of like the jobs I work now, like it's just growing and growing and growing. Like it's, I'm getting it at the beginning sports betting, right. Which I love that. I love being ahead of it and not late to the game. Right. Mm -hmm. So I love that portion of it. And I, I feel like in social media, like I've finally gotten to a point too, where I understand exactly what I'm doing day to day and how to do my jobs. Well, all of my jobs. Well, and that's only going to continue to serve you as time goes on. The more that you learn, because a career should be a continuous learning journey. There should never be a time when someone who's been working for 40 years or just started should be like, ah, I've learned everything there is to know. Now no, it's time no to way. chill out. Yeah, it's true. There's never, you'll never actually ever stop learning. You'll never have learned everything, right? And like, who knows where I might be in 10 years, but if it's learning something new and learning a new skill set, I'm all for it. So I must ask, as you look forward to the future, what are some of the goals then that you envisioned for yourself in your career? You know what? I think on a career standpoint, like working for Sportsnet has been amazing and really couldn't ask for more, although I know there is. So moving forward, I would love to be on air, maybe doing like an anchor job um, or even like just reporting at games. Like I, I love doing that in university as well. And I feel like with the podcast, I kind of do that now, right? Like I ask them questions, you know, you're doing the exact same thing as me. You're asking people questions. That's the same thing as sideline reporting, right? Obviously you need to know your stats, the players and all that, but learning, you can learn that. I don't think at this point I could learn more about hosting because I've been doing it for so long that I'm like finally comfortable in that spot. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's more so just getting the reps in now and doing it over and over and over again. But right. Like it's a skill set, even for us to be able to do, like I said, hosting, interviewing skill set. Yes. You can teach it for some people. It comes faster than others. Like I said, I literally had came up all this way. Wasn't going to be a host. And here I am. So one day, hosting a show on Sportsnet, hosting a digital show on Sportsnet that's not on TV, would also love that because that's new coming of age. It's all moving in that direction, right? Like, didn't they say years ago TV was out? Whatever, right? Digital and TV still in, you know? So it's like something like that would be great. Even in the sports betting realm would be great. Just need to learn a little bit more about that before I start speaking on on shows, I think would be best for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I've always loved entertainment, maybe like an entertainment show, like ET would be great too. Like I'm not really picky, you know, I just, I've always been a performer. I always say like when I was dancing and musical theater, I always was, I feel like I was born to be a performer. I just had to get the stepping stones to get there in sports and doing that through hosting. So that would be the end goal for me because that's my biggest interest, but not to say that I wouldn't do like an ET Canada or much music. You know what I mean? Like those are still things that interest me too. And on the social side, I feel like personally, like you can do so many things with social media. You could be an influencer, a content creator till the end of time. Like there's 70 year old content creators out there. So that job is really limitless as well, right? In terms of age and time, and you could always make content. That's the best thing about being a content creator is you can make content out of anything and it can be anywhere. You could be doing anything with your life. You could have anybody in it, right? Like a mommy blogger. They're like one of the biggest markets of content creators, huge. And people think, oh, I'm going to get pregnant and I'm not going to be able to work. No, no, no. 
lots of ways you can work as a mom, you know, like that's like one of the biggest influencer buckets and people just don't realize it. Right. Because a lot of moms um, follow other influencers just to learn things about being a mom. So I don't know, maybe down the line, when we start a family, that would be something I would do too, in terms of content. I like being a social media manager slash producer. That's what I do now at the parlay and just kind of like scheduling things, making things, making sure things run on time. I get the right content. It makes sense. Like I like that too. So I can't really complain. Like any of those directions would be phenomenal in my eyes. So who are some of the people that you looked up to in the industry when you first started in university and or still to this day do? Erin Andrews. She was my, Erin Andrews was the one. She was the one for me. Um, and then Lisa Matthews, like I said, from the Cardinals, Kate Burness was a big one, weirdly enough, um, Kate Burness actually. So when I did my internship before university, because to get into sport meet at that time, you had to do an internship of some kind and get a demo reel, wow. some kind of internship beforehand, like kind of volunteering, that kind of thing, just to be able to give yourself a demo reel, because that was part of getting into sport media. So I actually interned, worked at channel 12 news in Durham, which Kate Burness had a connection to. She would maybe work there. I can't remember if she worked there. She knew someone there. So I like really looked up to her in that sense of like, she, I want to be like her, right? Mm -hmm. Like she did this, she started like this and here I am doing the same thing. Maybe I will be like her one day. So I'd say her too. Looked up to obviously a lot of females, um, Ivanka. Yeah, really, really just like really had a good female presence in terms of role models. Like that's who I really looked up to the most. Aaron Andrews, I think is probably one of the most common answers I hear to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, she's been pretty phenomenal. And and that's, and that also, I think does, does have to do too with, if you're, especially if you're an NFL fan, like, right. She's like the number one, when you think about that position and what she's done. And, and I think I would, I would hold Kate Burness in that, in that same breath, as far as it comes to Canada specifically, as, Mm -hmm. as far as when I grew up her and Jennifer Hedger, like that was like one A and one B, like you'd see yeah. them. And it's like, those are the people that you'd look up to hundred percent. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So I want to ask when it comes to baseball, cause you said you dove into it. What is your favorite thing about following baseball? That's hard. <laughs> you know what I was saying to my boyfriend the other day, I was like, you know, what's crazy about baseball. It's on every day. Like it's literally on, you could, there's never a game. There's never a day. It's not on as soon as April hits. You know what I mean? I kind of love that aspect of just having baseball on while you're eating dinner. You can watch it chill. It's like more of a casual sport. I find Mm -hmm. also just love like the baseball in stadium atmosphere, obviously working for in-game entertainment. I've kind of part of like the performing side of it too. I like that. And I also, I like how like emotional baseball is too. Like, I don't know if you saw like um, this past homestand with the Yankees Yankees. was a kid judge fan, right? Like that is the kind of stuff that I'm like, this is amazing. And I love working for a sports team or a sport in general that has these kinds of moments, right? Like that kid had no idea what was coming as soon as he was crying to that Jays fan about giving him the baseball that Aaron judge hit for a home run, right? Like he didn't realize that he was about to meet his idol the next day. Right. But like, those are the moments that are just like, so genuine that kid crying because he's such a big fan. That's how so many kids grow up. And I think with baseball, it's so universal in the sense that anyone can play it as a kid. It's such an easy sport to play in a house league as a kid to learn compared to some other sports, like basketball is a little bit harder to learn as a kid, 
right? Soccer is a little bit easier. Football, definitely hard to learn as a kid, right? So I feel like baseball is like such a good foundational sport to start out with and move through your life with, right? Which is why you get so many fans with so many different backgrounds from all over who are like, I loved playing baseball when I was 12 years old. That's why I'm a Yankees fan now. Okay, that's great. I did this and I did that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's such an easy sport to get behind. I feel like both socially, foundationally, and just like to move through the stages of your life. So easy. I have definitely grown a great appreciation for baseball within the last few months being just in Toronto, because originally Mm -hmm. being from Winnipeg, uh, actually I will say, I, I must say this about Winnipeg first is that baseball is very popular in Winnipeg more than people would think mm-hmm. because they have the Winnipeg gold eyes who used to play in an old independent league that eventually became known as the American. It was the Northern league. I think than the American league or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I remember interviewing the senior reporter of the Jaguars for their website. And he was saying back in the day when I did play by play for the small major league for the small minor league team in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Wow. Best city we went to to travel up in Canada was Winnipeg because at the ballpark at Shaw Park in downtown Winnipeg, constantly selling out 8,000 people at a small high A baseball game. So even though I didn't grow up necessarily as a fan of baseball, I had an appreciation for it because of the sport. But then when you see what, how contagious it is in Toronto, especially when the team is good, I think that it's definitely a sport that you can never stop learning about, I mean, you can never stop learning about a lot of sports, but because baseball is so stats heavy and happens every day, it seems like there's more than an infinite amount of things that you can learn about it. And then when you see the stories, like the one you mentioned with the Yankees fan getting to meet Aaron judge, that just solidifies how great the sport really can be. And it is unfortunate when it goes through the events like the lockout and delaying and people saying, Oh, the sport, they don't support their superstars or whatever it may be. The groundwork is there for baseball to be, higher in the forefront of Mm -hmm. sports fans, I think. Yeah. And I think too, just being, like I said, like Toronto having one team or sorry, Canada having one team, it's like a community thing, you know, coast to coast, Mm -hmm. quite literally fans love the blue Jays, which I personally love. And obviously it's biased to Toronto. It'd be different in the States because there's so many teams, Mm -hmm. but that's just another element of it that I think is like so valuable. And I appreciate so much being Canadian and also just being in Toronto and getting to work the jobs I do, you know, it's like so much more appreciation towards that. And I'm so lucky to be where I am that I try to like never take a day for granted. I was walking down the concourse a couple weeks ago and I heard um, a boy say to his mom, you know, wow, this is so awesome. You would never picture it looking like this on TV. And I thought to myself, I'm here every day. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. I love it and I'm here every day, but it really put in perspective, like people coming from Halifax, Vancouver, Winnipeg to see a Blue Jays game, big deal. And I love that element of it, right? Like let's make it worthwhile. Let's make it like a lifetime memory. You know what I mean? Because they're all they're fans all across Canada. And I love that aspect of it. I wish that we would be a little bit older to have witnessed the Blue Jays winning the World Series 92-93. It yeah. only exists now through memories of parents and uncles and aunts and friends. And vintage but, t-shirts, basically. Yeah, literally. I could only imagine what that would have been like to witness as a fan because that is just, that's an otherworldly event to me. I know that people to like, and I want to get your opinion on this. Whenever I talk about uh, greatest Canadian sports moments, I 
actually put a poll on my Instagram during the beginning of COVID, the first few months, and I made sure to made to make mention of like for men's, for women's, like soccer, baseball, basketball, everything. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, what moment is greater? You know, you think about Crosby's golden goal and you think about the Raptors winning the finals or Canadian women's team. I guess they hadn't yet won gold medal, but then winning bronze was still pretty phenomenal at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we come to Joe Carter's world series winning home run. And one of my friends made a very strong argument for it, that he says that it is better than any other moment in Canadian sports history. And I want to know where would you rank Joe Carter's world series winning home run in terms of great moments in Canadian sports history? I'm going to say this coming from not being able to be alive to experience it, that I would personally say the Raptors winning the finals was the greatest moment, but for the older generations, I would hundred percent say the blue Jays, like that's just not a question for the old generation, but for me, and I'm sure you in the age that we're in now, like when you experience something, it's a lot bigger. Right. And it's something that sticks in your memory is like the greatest moment. Like, I think that was mainly because I just remember where I was and I remember what I was doing. And I remember who I was with and just the streets flooded with people for the Raptors. And I was like, this is so amazing. Like, I love this streets are shut down. Everyone's part in the street, not saying Carter's home run was not big at all. I'm not saying that. But I think for our generation and my age group and my friends that the Raptors winning was a bigger moment than I'd say Jay's number two, for sure. You're hundred percent correct on that. It's you, you, you have to have been there to really yeah. know. And I think that's why when people talk about something like Jordan versus LeBron, it's like, well, if you grew up in the eighties, right. then you would have been conscious to see Jordan in the nineties, not like, Oh, I was born in 96 and I was a toddler walking around Google Gaga he hits the shot. No, no, no. Like you grew up in the eighties and you see it. And that gives you a different perspective than, Oh, well, I just watch him after the fact and just say that, Oh, these guys are mailmen and slandering him. It's like, well, what are your kids going to think in 20, 30 years when they look back at the people LeBron was being defended against? Right. Could they not have, say the same thing eventually? Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. Yeah. And again, people talk about Sidney Crosby's golden goal and it is phenomenal. I remember where I was at home watching it, but when you think about the context of difficulty, I would have to say, yes, there's so much Canadiana that oozes from the moment of a guy born in Canada scoring the game-winning goal against their ultimate rivals in overtime, in the Olympics, host like everything. The star is perfectly aligning. But when you think about the magnitude of either of the moments that we mentioned, winning the NBA Finals for a team that is exists still to this day, basically thanks to the owners and the success of, you know, Vince Carter putting the Toronto on the map, the Grizzlies failed, the Raptors stayed alive and they ended up winning a finals, a team that Charles Barkley said, and I quote, will never win the championship in 50 years. They're horrible. Mm -hmm. They won the finals. They did it. It happened to quote Matt Devlin. Do you think about Joe, but Joe Carter, like for a Canadian team to win the world series, like that is also like, again, that's also very insane in its own right. And I wouldn't put it above the Raptors because again, I wasn't, I'm not a baseball that's fan. I didn't witness it, but I think it doesn't get as much respect as it deserves from maybe a, a countrywide perspective. I know people in Toronto probably talk about it and shy had mentioned in our class that people beat it to death. So they try to move on. But I think that moment needs to be held on to a little bit longer in terms of the eyes of all Canadian sports fans. You know what? I, and I think it, I think it will until the Blue Jays win again. And maybe that's this year. Who knows? 
right? Like I think that, I think baseball fans, baseball fans are very emotional. Like I said, right? Like a lot of fans are like that, but baseball fans are very emotional and get very attached to players, teams, right? So I think that's maybe why it's such a huge thing still. And I think that us going to the playoffs in 2016, 2015, 2016 was huge for Toronto, right? Like huge. And I remember being on the J force and jumping around on the concourse when Encarnacion hit the wild card walk off. Like I remember that too. You know what I mean? Like I, that is a huge moment, but I think winning the world series is, is insane. So I think once that happens again, you know, fans will attach themselves to something again, which makes total sense, which I think is exactly why Raptors winning the finals is why I would put that above it because I experienced it. You know, I'd love to experience a world series win this year would be phenomenal. Who knows? Right. But, and then I guess for Crosby, I am not a huge hockey fan and maybe that's why I don't rank that for me higher. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like the Olympics, but never really grew up watching hockey. So maybe that's why it it varies from fan to fan where you would rank those based on the sports you like better or more attached to, right. Comes back to like the whole emotional attachment to sports. So then if the Blue Jays won the world series in your lifetime, would you rank that above the Raptors in the finals? Yes. Okay. Yep. I would just want to be, I need to experience it. I, I don't think you can feel the real emotion of experiencing something like that unless you literally do. Looking back, the Jays in the World Series, that's phenomenal. And that's amazing. But I was not even born yet. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I look, I'm a very, um, what do you call those people that are like in the moment, very experience driven that's what I am. Like I'm more that than anything else, right? Like that's what it makes an impact on me as a fan and me as a sports fan is moments like that and experiencing things like that and being like, I saw that happen. This is what I was doing. Hopefully I will be there when it happens this year, you know, like let's be hopeful thinking here. I said, this might be the year because if I'm working, like that's amazing, right? Like it's all wrapped into one. Can't really change that, but you never know. You never know. Well, I think we'll have to just sit back and watch the show. I We will. The 130 plus remaining games in the regular season. Each one Mm -hmm. counts as much as the next. It's very true. It's very true. You know, like everyone can be like, oh, she's eager. You know what? It's just being optimistic. Come on. I also work work every day watching them play. Obviously, I'm going to hope they go far. I also am from Toronto. It's all lines up, you know. Emily, we are getting towards the end of our time on today's episode. So I want to ask you a few wrap-up questions to have a little bit more fun before we go. Okay. Favorite sports movie? Oh, my God. Oh, the one with, um, oh, my God, I can't remember the name of it, though. Uh, Sandra Bullock. Oh, The Blind Side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that one. It's a good one. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Favorite baseball movie? 42. Okay. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, 42, yeah. 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 You're like judging me right now, I can tell. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm <laughs> like, oh, that's a weird pick. <laughs> oh, no, I, I just, you, you seemed a bit unsure. That's why I was like. No, I was like, yeah, I just couldn't remember if that was, I'm honestly not great with names. Oh, okay, okay. Love movies. That's why I was like, what are these movies called? It's 40, it but is yes. 42, I believe. Yeah, yes. 42. I've only seen, I've only seen a few baseball movies and I've heard that 42 is amazing, but I haven't seen it. So yeah, it's great. I think it's on Netflix now, actually. So anyways, favorite childhood sports hero. 
Mm. Oh, wow. Childhood sports hero. <clears throat> Can I say Kurt Warner? Is that like bias? Yeah, that's, what, that's any answer okay. successful. Yeah. I, ooh, that's hard though. But what about Larry Fitzgerald? I'll just have to say Kurt Warner because he's more of, you know, he's a legend. So. Most memorable sporting events besides the Raptors winning the championship that you watched on television. Mm. Does it have to be on TV or can I say that walk off wild, the wild card game in 2016? Yeah, I was yeah, you can say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I would say that. That was that was wild, but yeah. Favorite memory from your childhood as far as it comes to being involved with, with sports and athletics? Playing on my um, soccer team with all of my girlfriends. We literally played for 15 years straight with the same group of girls, so... Oh my goodness. That's yeah. People that like people that get to experience something like that is just, it's once in a lifetime. It's so like, weird. it's just like friendships you'll never forget because you spent, you grew up together. You know what I mean? Playing a sport, which I think just unites everyone. So the shift good or bad. The shift in, in baseball that they're trying to get, get rid of, or they will get rid of for next year. Hmm. I don't know. Good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what pe- what would more normal people say to that. Most people fair- say like they should get rid of it because it's it's cheating and it's no not cheating but like it's it's unfair. It's like the when the NHL locked out in the early 2000s because of the trap like New Jersey. I feel yeah, you know what there's a lot of rules in sports that people think are unfair though. That could yeah. be equally yeah, that's why I like. No. I mean, I'm not a baseball person, so I'm like, wow. Well, I'm just, well, I'm that. curious if I chose good because I'm more biased just to the sport, but I'm sure fans would watch it and say bad. Yeah. Do you it know what I mean? Like, the only comparison I could really think of is uh, because I like to think about things sometimes in terms of football. It's like, oh, you're not allowed to load up one side of the defensive line when you're blocking a field goal. It has to be even. Like, what? Why would you not want the shortest path to the ball? Like, is that yeah, not yeah, a I part get of that. the defensive strategy? But again, baseball junkies can say otherwise. So yeah, I that, yeah, I feel like they might go against me on that, but that's okay. My final question for you is this: If you had the opportunity to interview any athlete or media personality you wanted, dead or alive, doesn't matter. You had unlimited access, resources, whatever you want to interview them. Who would it be and why? That's hard. Oh my God. Like I, I just, on my mind, I'm so biased to the Cardinal. I don't, I don't know what it is. I would probably do. I'll give you two, just cause I know that there's, there's, there's too many to think. I about. would have to do Warner. Like that would be a dream. Right. Like, and I would say Fitzgerald too, just because I followed him the most when I was like really getting into sports and getting into football, probably those two. I mean, at least they're both alive. So that's nice. I could have that chance could happen one day. (laughs) I mean, so long as Larry doesn't tackle Kurt while you're doing the sit down in in the middle of the sit down. They're like such good friends. I could do them literally could interview them both together. That would be the dream. You know, you know, when Erin Andrews does those uh, interviews where she sits across the room from them and they're in the little high chair things. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what I envision myself doing. Okay. Well, I will make sure to look forward to that in the next. We'll keep this in in uh, a time capsule to remember in yep. somewhere between 10 and 20 years to look back and say when you interview Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald then it all it, that manifestation of the dream started all here exactly yeah wow totally thank you so much for having me I appreciate your time 
Thank you, Emily, so much. It was, it was great getting to chat with you. Love chatting baseball, chatting about sports, and just getting to know more of the the behind the scenes and also the mindset that you have had to carry through the growth you went through during the difficulty of COVID and its uncertainty. But I think all the, you know, the, the heavier, the storm, the brighter your rainbow, as I saw on a big billboard outside of my neighborhood in Winnipeg. So love it. Yes. I totally agree. Thank you so much. And thank you to listener for enjoying today's episode with Blue Jays central production coordinator, as well as host of my POV podcast and digital content creator for the parlay, Emily Savard. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Touchdown. Matt Stiegel. Touchdown. Regal. 138. That is the all-time Canadian Football League. Touchdown, King. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at Up underscore mb for full audio head over to spotify and apple podcasts for full video head over to youtube at huddle up with matias bueno tune in next week for another great episode see you next time